during this pandemic, our lives have been disrupted in a host of different ways. To share one really quite minor loss in the grand scheme of things, I had planned to be away for all of July on a month-long meditation retreat that was, of course, canceled, as has been the case with countless other carefully laid plans that so many of us had made. One of the ways I've tried to partially redeem that loss is by prioritizing my meditation practice the past few weeks. During the first few months of the pandemic, I was meditating some, but honestly, the primary way I was dealing with the stress and the instability was through running. At the beginning of the stay-at-home order, I started running at least two miles six days a week with a longer run on one or two of those days, and it helped my mental health a lot. It helped me get out of my head and into my body. It helped to physically let go of what I was holding mentally and emotionally. And part of why I'm bringing up exercise and a sermon about meditation is to be clear up top that meditation is not the only or best remedy for all people or all situations. While meditation can be helpful for many of us, as in all things, your mileage may vary. And for others of you in this particular season of your life, you may find that what's most helpful to you is taking long walks in nature, gardening, contemplative photography, cooking, art, writing, prioritizing therapy appointments. Whatever people and places and practices make you feel freer, more liberated, more connected, grateful, energized, fully alive. That being said, for those of you who are just a little bit meditation curious, I do want to share some with you um, of how practicing meditation, even just a little bit, can help you navigate not only this pandemic, but also pretty much anything that comes up in life. As the saying goes, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And as this pandemic has continued, I've found myself able to settle in a little more. I found myself able to let go some of running, though I'm still running a few times a week, and I found myself able to meditate more. In specific, for the past few weeks, I've been meditating for an hour in the morning and another hour in the late afternoon. Now, that's a pretty good bit in general, though far less than I would have been doing on a retreat. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I'll add that I've probably will be unlikely to sustain even that level of practice after Labor Day when my other commitments are going to spike back up considerably. But part of why I've been upping my meditation game is that starting in January, I've been invited to be part of a two-year meditation teacher training program. And so while I'm very interested in what happens when you significantly increase your dosage of meditation and how that can catapult you into some quite interesting territory that I'd glad to talk more about um, another time. I'm also interested in how even just a little bit of meditation can make a difference. I don't want you to feel like, oh, if I'm not meditating two hours, why bother? I'm quite aware, for instance, that those of you with young children trying to navigate, you know, wild online back-to-school systems, I would suspect the prospect of meditating for two hours a day sounds like a pipe dream. Fair enough. So let me add that although it's wonderful to have the luxury of long periods of time dedicated to contemplative practice, if you don't 
have time to meditate even 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day. I, I really mean it when I say that one minute of meditation is so much better than nothing or even one intentional breath. That counts and it really can, even that catalyze an internal shift. Likewise, I, um, when Irene and I co-teach these yoga meditation mini retreats, we often say that if you don't have time to do a full yoga routine, ask yourself, what one yoga pose does my body most need right now? And then just stop and do that one pose if you can in that moment. Even one or two stretches is so much better than nothing. And as with taking one intentional deep breath really can cause an internal shift. Along those lines, many of you have shared with me over the years that one part of our Sunday service that is consistently helpful to you is near the beginning, when I simply invite us to take a few deep breaths in and out. When I invite you to take a deep breath and let it go, I'm inviting you to change the channel, so to speak, on whatever happens to be playing in your mind at that moment. When you come to a UUCF Sunday service, whether in person or online, a, a lot of things could be going on for you. You could be worried about an upcoming work deadline. You could be stewing over a conflict with a friend or a family member or a colleague. You might be happy or sad or angry or otherwise occupied by any of 10,000 possible things. And when I invite you to take that deep breath in and out, I'm inviting you to loosen, even if just a little bit, around any distractions and tune in more fully to this present moment right now. It's not that all those other things, work, family, politics, etc., it's not that they aren't important. The invitation is just to Notice that you, can, you likely can't do much about them right now, so don't miss what's actually right here in front of you, as in the phrase that Ramdas made so famous, be here now. Later, you can be there then. So when we aren't here now, wherever that happens to be, we're usually lost in the stories of our minds. And although it's sometimes nice to daydream, those stories can actually create a lot of unnecessary suffering. Notice that unnecessary part. Yeah, that conversation or conflict that you're dreading, it, it may well be coming. But worrying about it in advance, that layers on additional suffering that actually in many cases is optional. And you can choose to opt out of it and just be here now, and then you can later be there then. As Mark Twain said about his own tendency to make up terrible stories about his future that may or may not end up actually being as bad as he worried they might be, he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. My life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. That's the optional suffering part. Be here now later you can be there then. And maybe being more fully present right now will help you be more fully present and centered and connected later and thus able to respond more skillfully and compassionately in that moment of conflict or whatever it is to come. 
But here's the even more important part. Please know that you don't have to wait until Sunday morning to try to change the channel of your mind or heart. You can take this tool with you into the rest of your week. If you notice that your mind is stuck in a loop, playing you know, boring reruns of memories and anxieties and fears that just really aren't serving you, that are adding optional suffering to your life that you would prefer to opt out of, just whenever you notice that, any time of day, 24-7, pause. Take a deep breath. And let it go. Even one intentional deep breath can help incline you to changing the channel in your mind or heart. If you want to incline yourself further to a specific channel you're hoping to change your heart or mind to, you can try saying silently to yourself something like, may the body relax. May the mind relax. May I be kind to myself and others. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I live with an open heart. You don't have to use any of those phrases in particular if they don't work for you. Maybe even try asking yourself with curiosity, what one phrase do I really need to hear right now? What is my deepest intention in this moment? Now, depending on what all is going on for you in any given moment, I will readily stipulate that one deep breath, one short phrase, that's not always going to do the trick to change the channel. It certainly doesn't for me if it's really bad. The good news is that there are lots of other practices you can try. Take a short walk. Sometimes even just a walk around the block can help. Find a pet. Spend a few moments with a pet or staring out the window into nature. Schedule some time to exercise if you can that day or get in touch with a friend. Whatever people, places, and practices, again, that leave you feel, feeling freer, more liberated, more connected, grateful, energized, alive. But the thing I particularly like about the breath is that whereas we don't always have time or ability to take a walk, spend time with a pet, or get in touch with a friend, our breath is literally with us in any moment, unless we're having a panic attack, and there's a separate advice for that, of getting more into your body. The breath is always with us. So let me give you three quick tricks along those lines. The first is that since so many of us spend so much time in front of a computer screen these days, you can actually Google the phrase breathing exercise for a free silent one minute guided meditation. And I'll share my screen to show that to you uh, really quickly. So if I uh, show you um, Google, here we go. If you actually just type in breathing exercise into Google, this little free app pops right up. In a few moments, I'm gonna click on that play symbol and it's gonna invite us to pay attention to our breath. You're gonna see that circle start to contract. So we're gonna start with an exhale. And as the circle then expands, you'll be invited to breathe in. And as it contracts, you'll be invited to breathe out. 
Um, and try doing this in through your nose and out through your nose. Uh, a lot of scientific studies are starting to show the real benefit to not being a mouth breather, like many of us are. I can be a mouth breather. Uh, try breathing in through your nose and out through your nose if that's available to you. You'll also notice this app is designed to, it's going to have us breathe in for about five seconds and out for about five seconds, which is kind of an optimal breathing. So it's a way to try that. So let's start together. Um, starting with a full exhale as you bring your attention to your breath. And we'll do this for one minute following our Google overlords. How was that for you? During that one minute breathing exercise, did you find yourself maybe breathing in a little more deeply than you normally do, breathing out a little more fully? As with your breath, it is with you wherever you go, that breathing exercise, it's silent. It is available to you anytime you're connected to the internet, with or without Google, next time you're feeling stressed. Try taking five deep breaths over the course of a minute, breathing in for a five count and breathing out for a five count. See if that helps internally shift your channel, even if just a little. Another, a second trick along those lines is called box breathing that's become renowned because Navy SEALs use it as a calming technique in incredibly stressful situations. It's called box breathing because the key thing to remember is the number four as in the four sides of a box. I'll share um, some slides with you to give you a visual aid on that. So this is a slide about box breathing. Uh, so there are four things to do and you do them for four seconds each. You inhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, and do it at least four times. A uh, slightly more advanced technique is called 478 breathing. You're probably not going to remember this one, but if you Google like Andrew Weil and breathing technique, it'll probably come up. But you first exhale completely through your mouth, just like we did with that Google exercise, and then um, inhale through your nose um, for four, hold for seven, and then breathe out with a whoosh. Um, for eight, and do that at least four times. And this is particularly good if you're having trouble falling asleep. Now, again, as with all things, your mileage may vary, but hey, if you're having trouble going to sleep, maybe give it a shot. It may work for you. And depending on your time and interest, this is barely scratching the surface of what science is finding about breathing. If you're interested in learning more, the journalist James Nestor has written a really cool new book called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. Notice I'm pointing to be a nose breather, not a mouth breather. 
Uh, so check that out if you're interested in learning more. Now, having mentioned Dr. Wiles' uh, 478 breathing technique as a way of getting to sleep, I should hasten to add in this sermon on meditation that one of the most common problems that new meditators report is that they find themselves falling asleep when meditating. And part of what I tell folks is that the most important takeaway may be that if you're falling asleep while meditating, what might be most beneficial for your meditation practice and for you is taking a nap instead of trying to force yourself to stay awake and meditate or just getting more sleep generally to the extent that's available to you. In all seriousness, for many people, part of a baseline of establishing a meditation practice is prioritizing sleep so that you can meditate more easily without becoming sleepy. Because here's the thing, many meditation practices are trying to cultivate this kind of third way of being in the world, a third gear, so to speak, that is both relaxed and alert. As I've heard the meditation teacher Michael Taft talk about this as four possible quadrants, but I've never actually seen it made into a visual aid. So I put that together in case it might be helpful to any of you in trying to understand what I'm talking about. So I'll show that to you uh, now. The world today often has many of us in one of two gears. We're either um, awake and alert, so stressed out, pulled in a thousand directions and multitasking, or we're at the other end of this spectrum. We're relaxed, but we're totally zoned out or asleep. And what we're not trying to do in meditation is be zoned out or fuzzy. Um, you want to be really quite alert and aware. And the truly perverse thing is that for many of us, even when we do rest, many of us don't find ourselves relaxed and alert. We find ourselves still alert even when we're trying to relax. One among many examples is some of you like me may have had a dentist tell you that it looks like you grind your teeth in your sleep or something along those lines. So you're, you're trying to relax, but you're still too alert. So in contrast, many meditation practices are trying to get us in this relaxed and alert in a sense of being open, gentle, compassionate sense of being what's sometimes called loving awareness. Thoughts and emotions and body sensations like those leaves or those fish that Nicole was reading us about earlier, those are going to arise. We're aware of whatever arises, but without grasping, without clinging. Don't grab the fish, just let them float along. Just letting be whatever arises, allowing it to float down the river of our consciousness to drift along like clouds in a vast open sky. As a saying from the Zen tradition puts it, leave your front door and back door open. Allow your thoughts to come and go. Just don't serve them tea. You don't have to invite them tea. You don't have to invite, cling on to them, invite them to stay. And seriously, a somewhat surprising key to waking up in the sense of enlightenment simply is relaxing. Relaxing your body, relaxing your mind, relaxing your expectations and beating yourself up about what you think meditation is supposed to be like. There really is an inverse correlation in almost every case between wanting a meditation experience to happen and setting it up to actually happen. You just have to be here now and open yourself to what meditation really is like and allow experiences to arise or not in their own time. 
Now, there's so much more I'd like to say about meditation, but I will say quite quickly that if you want to know more about the nerdy neuroscience stuff that scientists are finding, uh, check out Neurodharma by the neuroscientist and meditation teacher Rick Hansen, wrote the great book, Buddha's Brain, some of you may know. If you're, if you're feeling like you really need support in establishing a daily meditation practice, my top recommendation right now is the 10% Happier app. So just Google 10% Happier. They're really doing a great job with their app, in, in particular with um, centering teachers of color. Um, also, there's a lot of opportunities right here at UUCF. You'll see lots of opportunities for meditation and yoga throughout the week. In the coming um, days, I'll be, probably after Labor Day, I'll restart the weekly Tuesday night class that I teach. I'll restart at some point doing these monthly-ish yoga meditation um, retreats that Irene and I teach more soon on all of that. For now, I invite you to continue in a spirit of meditation as we sing together our hymn of response, filled with loving kindness. <laughs>